Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Uh, with that, if you brought a Bible with you, if you have a Bible app on your mobile phone, uh, please turn with me to the book of First Peter. We're going to be in chapter uh, number 5. And, and today we're in part 3 of a series titled Parenting Fail, uh, which is subtitled What to Do When um, We Miss the Mark. And, and the reason for this series... Uh, is, is if you've been a parent for any length of time, as we've talked about, uh, you've probably made some mistakes. I know I've made a bunch of them as a, as a dad. In fact, uh, the truth is parenting, though very rewarding and fulfilling, parenting is also hard and can be very stressful because the decisions we make affect our children. The things that we do affect them emotionally and physically and mentally and spiritually. And, we, we, and what we do and what we say impacts our kids in a very, very huge way. And we can't always see the long-term consequences of those decisions uh, that we have towards our children. And we don't always know how to, resp- you know, how what we say and do uh, will impact them. In fact, um, I just want to share with you just a real quick story um, on one of my biggest regrets as a parent. Uh, when my oldest daughter um, was in elementary school, uh, this is years and years ago, there was a, a local family in Bakersfield that began to invite her to church. And so she started to go and, and they, they gave her a little Bible and stuff and she was really excited about that and it was something that she really enjoyed. And it was during the time of my life that I was a hardened atheist. And so my daughter's newfound enthusiasm for Christianity really concerned me. And because of that, I remember, you know, um, I came to this place, you know, where I thought that faith and religion, especially Christianity, was unintelligent. It was an unintelligent response to, to, to life. And so uh, I felt that faith was for people who really just didn't have the mental capacity to deal with the harsh realities of the world around them. And so I was concerned and frustrated that my daughter, Samantha, was expressing an interest in in church, and so I took it upon myself um, to talk to her, and I told her that the church, you know, to go to church if she wanted to do that, if she, that made her happy, that was fine, and I didn't mind for her to do that, and that she needed to make up her own mind about that kind of stuff. Um, but I, but then I proceeded to basically explain how religion was made up by people, and, and, and that she shouldn't believe everything that the church people were going to tell her. And so, on one hand, I'm telling her she can make up her own mind, and the other hand, I'm like basically telling her only unintelligent people will fall for this Christianity stuff, and so. So guess what happened? She stopped going to church at a very young age. And then years later, when I gave my life to God, I suddenly had a credibility problem with my own daughter, right? Uh, and, 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 some, some, and she actually took my, my words and began to use them against me because I told her that unintelligent people, you know, were Christians. And so she figured I was unintelligent. I was just confirming it for her because I became a Christian. And, uh, and to make matters worse, she struggled for years and years and years with the idea of faith. And now that she's in her 20s, she's just now opening back up to the idea of faith. Uh, but it's because of the influence of other people in her life. And it, it wasn't because of me. And you see, I blew it, you know, as a dad. When she was really young, I missed the mark really, really huge. And, if, and, and this still affects even like conversations we have today between the two of us years and years later. You see, as parents, you know, what we say and do has lasting significance in our kids' lives. And sometimes we just get it wrong. Sometimes we fail and sometimes we miss the mark. Sometimes we mess up and, and our kids are the ones who have to, to live with that. And so this series is about taking a closer look at these areas in our lives where as parents we just really, even though we have the best of intentions, we just miss the mark because there are just some basic challenges that almost all parents face. And so we, um, 
We've been looking at some of those in this series. And, and, and also in this series, we've been looking at God's Word to see what He has to say about these challenges. And, and hopefully, we, we were able to learn some practical steps that we can take from Scripture and apply them to our lives in order to grow as parents so we don't miss the mark near as often. And, uh, and, and if you've been here for the last, if you haven't been here for the last few weeks uh, and you're, you're wondering to yourself, well, I'm not a parent, so why am I doing here? Well, We've, we've actually explained that uh, several times over the last few weeks. Um, and, and suffice it to say that what we're going to talk about, even though it's about parenting, really has universal application in the rest of your relationships. And if you've missed the last few weeks, then I just want to encourage you to get caught up. And you do, can do that by going to our SoundCloud page um, where we upload all of our messages. Or, you know, and you can listen to them there on your smartphone or your tablet. Or you can go to our church website and listen to them there. And for your convenience, we have actually taken those website addresses, put them in your bulletin. You can take them home and listen to them. And that way you can get all caught up and you can actually get the long version of why you should actually be here on, uh, during this series on parenting. Now, we open up this series by talking about one of the most important foundational issues faced by parents, which is the issue of balance. Okay? We struggle with balance. We struggle balancing our finances. We struggle balancing our priorities. We struggle balancing you know, how we discipline our kids, which is exactly what we talked about. And as parents, we tend to fall on one side of the line or the other when it comes to that. We're either the authoritarian you know, or we're really, really soft and tenderhearted. Okay? And what we discovered is we need to be both. We need to do both of them. We need to be the tender-hearted authoritarian, just like Jesus was. Okay, Jesus was our example. He came to this earth. He was full of grace and truth, which means he was the prototypical tender-hearted authoritarian, which means you know he was loving and forgiving and compassionate, but he still held people accountable to grow and change. He would say things like, I don't condemn you, but then he would say, go and sin no more. Jesus was that example of balance that we need to strive for as parents. And then in week two, we talked about about a very you know, important area that we miss the mark as parents. You see, many of us as parents have bought into this idea that our children's spiritual growth and development is the church's responsibility and not ours as parents. For some reason, our culture has promoted this idea that the church's responsibility to pass on our faith to our kids, a robust, authentic faith to our children, which is not true and has had devastating consequences in our culture because our kids are leaving the faith at a staggering rate. Our culture, you know, as a result, is becoming uh, increasingly secular because of that. Now, again, don't get me wrong. The church has and will continue to work to reach your kids, but the greatest influence in their life has been and will continue to be your um, continue to be you, so it's your job to help them to grow spiritually. And then in week, uh, um, and then week three, we went over. Uh, in that same week, we went over um, six ways to help you to actually do that. Six ways that you can help grow your your children spiritually. And then last week, we talked about that it's not um, that that the, there's not a bigger responsibility or a more important responsibility uh, to make sure our children have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There's not a bigger responsibility than that. The biggest responsibility we have as parents is make sure that our children have a relationship with Jesus. And, and we need to get clear on our job as parents. You see, as, as parents, it's, it's not our job to be their friends. It's our job to be their parents. It's our job to see to it that our children have a relationship with God and that they follow Him because the ramifications of that decision will last for eternity. Now today, I want to get real basic on you. 
you. This won't take very long, actually. And, and I want to talk about a very elementary, natural part of parenting. A part of, uh, of parenting that is very natural and instinctive for us. Uh, in fact, most parents don't even have to think about this. It just comes very natural to them as moms and dads. And, and, and it's simply a natural byproduct of being a parent. And, and so what I want to talk about is an, is an element that, that is really foundational what it means to be uh, a mom or a dad. It, it, and this element I'm talking about is protecting our children. There's nothing more natural than, than the drive to protect our kids. Okay? It's what, what parents do. It's natural for humans and natural for animals to protect their young. In fact, one of the analogies we use quite often of human mothers is the analogy of the mama bear, right? Because mama bears protect their offspring and so, so do human moms. And sometimes we even say that, you know, you know, that mama bear came out of her when somebody messed with her children. I mean, how many moms can identify with that, that mama bear thing? Yeah, exactly, right? It's completely natural to protect our children. It's completely natural to want to keep them from physical harm. And the same goes for dads, all right? Historically, fathers have been looked at as the provider and the protector of their family, right? It's, it's the dad's job to get up in the middle of the night to find out what goes bump. It's the dad's job to make sure the tires are aired up on the car. It's the dad's job to make sure the smoke detectors work, right? And it's the dad's job to clean his gun when his daughter brings over the, the boy for the first time, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. In fact, you know, you know as a dad, I'm, I'm about to get a new T-shirt because uh, I have a very pretty daughter. And, and this is what my, what my T-shirt is going to say right here. It says, I have a pretty daughter. I also have a gun, a shovel, and an alibi. Okay? You see, protecting our children is very natural. Okay? It comes naturally to us. And that's why we buy car seats and child locks and those annoying, stupid things you put in the outlets that you can't ever get back out again. Um, that's why we keep an eye on our kids when we go to busy places like the mall or the airport. That's why parents put those leashes on little kids sometimes so they can't get away from, you know, get out of arm's reach. That's why we, we, we take care about ratings of movies and, and who our kids are making friends with. You know, protecting our kids is natural to us. That's why we tell them to buckle your seatbelt. Call me when you get there. Don't talk to strangers, right? You know, we want our kids to be safe. We want to keep them from harm. We want them to grow up healthy and happy. It's completely natural for us parents to protect our kids. And, and um, but the question is, is why? Why is there a need and a drive for that? I mean, why is it so instinctive for us to protect our, our children? And this is not a silly question. This is a very serious question. Why is it that we're compelled to protect our kids? Well, the reason why is we live in a world that's broken and we know it, right? We live in a world that is broken, filled with broken people who are capable of anything. And we know that, that in this broken world, accidents happen. And we know in this broken world that, that, that disease, diseases lurk around the corner. We know that in this broken world, there are people in the world around us that seek to do our children harm. There are people in this world that want something from our kids. There are people in this world that want to take their innocence. There are people in this world who work to influence our kid to make choices that are not good for them. It seems like there's something lurking around almost every corner that preys on our kids. That's why we check up on them. That's why, there's, that's why we look at the Megan's Law website. That's why we, we give them a phone to carry around with them wherever they go. That's why we make sure that people know our kids are, you know, um, you know, that people know that our kids have a deadly food allergy. We live in a broken world and we, and we seek to protect our kids from all those things that are out there conspiring to harm our children. And, and I'm just going to tell you, for the most part, as parents, we do a pretty good job. Most parents know what to look for out there, okay? Most parents, you know, naturally know what to do to protect their children, protecting our kids from the forces out 
there usually isn't where we as parents miss the mark. Instead, where we miss the mark is often we fail to protect our children from the enemy on the inside, from the enemy within, the enemy within inside our homes, and the enemy within our children. You see, there's two forces at work in the life of all of our children working together to undo everything as parents that we're trying to do in our children. There are two forces at work right now working against everything that you've done as a parent to protect your children. And these two forces are not simply out there, okay? They're not just outside. You can't find them on the Megan's Law website. You can't lock the door and buckle the seatbelt and keep them, you know, safe from those forces. These two forces are not simply out there, okay? Out there. It's not where these things are hunting your children. These two forces are stalking and hunting down your children on the inside. These two insidious things, these crafty enemies are hunting down your children in here. They're teaming up together and they're wreaking havoc in the lives of our children. And, and as parents, oftentimes we just can't even see it happening. We don't even, aren't even aware that it's happening. All we can see is the after effects. We can't see the, the predators hunting them down. And to make things even worse, these two internal forces, you know, are at work in our modern era and they have unleashed an invisible predator on our kids, okay? An invisible menace that is absolutely destroying our kids from the inside out and, it, and, it, and it's happening right under our noses. It's happening in our very homes. It's, it's happening when, when our children are, are near you and the consequences are absolutely devastating. So let's just talk about these two forces first and then we'll identify this predator. The first one of these forces is probably one that's obvious to, to many of us. Or at least if you, if you follow God, it should be obvious to you. I mean, we who follow God and, and have given our lives to Christ, we understand that there is a very real spiritual enemy. A real enemy that has a huge influence in the lives of people from the spiritual world. And, and this real spiritual enemy is bent on destruction. He is bent on destroying lives. He is bent on destroying families. He is bent on destroying individuals. He's bent on destroying churches and even communities. In fact, the Bible warns us about him. And the, the Apostle Peter himself in, in his first letter in the New Testament tells us about him. He, in fact, Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Our enemy, the devil, is a ferocious beast on the hunt, and he's looking actively for someone to devour. He is looking to steal, kill, and destroy, as Jesus would say. He is actively hunting. He is stalking. He's actively looking for an opportunity to ambush. And he is hunting right now your children. He is our spiritual arch enemy. And he is just one of the two insidious forces I've mentioned and, and that is working to conspire to tear down our children. And the problem is, is he's not just out there. He's right here. He is up close. He is near. He's a spiritual enemy and he's cunning and he's crafty and he's continually whispering and tempting and persuading. And he is always working to create doubt and he's always working to destroy. And, and, he's, and he isn't always easy to spot because he doesn't always look like and sound like a, a menacing figure. In fact, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 11 uh, verse 14, And no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan never shows up you know, as, and says, hey, guess what, I'm Satan, right? 
He always disguises himself as something else. And you see, your enemy has pulled out all the stops in order to deceive us and deceive our children. And, and our enemy will do anything to devour our kids, and it's working. In fact, if you'll remember, we talked about uh, the fact that 65%, 65% of evangelical teens, it's teens in the church, 65% of them don't believe that Satan is even real. They think that he's just a figment of our imagination, something that we've just made up. They don't believe that the, the enemy is real and hunting them down, trying to devour them. In fact, it's been said that the greatest trick the devil has ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. Our children are prey for a spiritual enemy in a world that, that's telling them that he doesn't exist. And the majority of them don't believe that he's even real. And this enemy they don't believe in is tempting them and he is taunting them and he is bullying them. And he uses their insecurities, and he uses their doubts, and he uses their fears, and he uses their egos, and he uses their desires against them to trap them and to ensnare them. And he's continually looking for an opportunity to steal, kill, and destroy. And it makes it hard as a parent, you know, because we can't always see what's happening because it's, it's happening not out there, it's happening in here. And what makes him even more dangerous and even more effective is the partnership that he has with this other force in your child's life. And this force is even worse because it's even closer into your child. Okay? It's even closer in your child's life than the devil is. In fact, it's so close and so intimate to your child that, that it's always present with him. No matter where your child goes, no matter what they do, and no matter what life brings their way, it's always with him. It's always lurking there with him. It's with them at home, it's with them at school, it's with them at church, it's with them you know, when, they're, when they're with their friends, and when, it's with them when they're at, with their classmates, it's even with them when they're with you. And this force can be so persuasive, so very, very persuasive, and it can also be so very destructive. And the Bible talks about this force very explicitly, in fact, Jeremiah tells us about this force, he says, the heart, the heart is more deceitful than all else, and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart, he says, not the physical heart, okay? But the center of your will, the center of your emotions, the center of your spiritual and emotional life, he says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. There's nothing more deceitful than your heart. It's more deceitful than your enemies. It's more deceitful than your ex-wife or your ex-husband. It's more deceitful than your lazy, no-good brother-in-law. It's, it's more deceitful than the drug addict down the street. Your heart and your child's heart, the center of yours and their spiritual and, and emotional life is deceitful above anything else. And why is that? Well, it's because it's desperately sick. Desperately sick. In fact, the NIV translates this phrase, desperately sick, as, as beyond cure. Our hearts are so sick that it's be, they're beyond cure. Well, why are our hearts sick? Why are our children's hearts sick? Well, they're sick because they're infected with sin. Our hearts are infected with sin. Our hearts are desperately sick, desperately sick because we were born into a broken world. And we were born into sin. And sin stains and affects, infects everything. And because our hearts, the center of our emotional and spiritual life, are so sick and beyond cure, our hearts and our children's hearts are deceitful above all things, which means it cannot be trusted. And because of that, our children's hearts or one of the most insidious forces in their lives, working in concert with the devil against them. Your child's own heart is working to destroy them. Your child's own heart is selling them down the road to the enemy. Now this is part of the, that as a parent, we don't really 
want to understand. This is a part that we, you know, we, we struggle. And the reason I think we struggle with this is because I think that we don't want to see our kids this way. We don't want to see our kids as people that are sick and, 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 and wicked and twisted and deceitful. You know, that they, don't, that they have deceitful hearts. We want to see them, the best in them. We, we want to see what we love in our kids. We don't want to see, you know, their sick, twisted, deceitful hearts. We don't want to acknowledge that they have those, those evil hearts. In fact, every parent I know, including me, will say, well, yeah, but, you know, he's a good kid. Yeah, but I know, but she's a good kid. You know, no matter what our child has done, we're always coming back with, yeah, but they're a good kid. Right? We've all said that, heard that before. Yeah, I know that they did the wrong thing, but, but you know, really, they're a good kid. And that's true on a certain level. But let's not lie to ourselves. Our children have a heart in them that's deceitful. All of our children have a heart inside them that lies to them. All of them are capable of lying and cheating and stealing. You say, clean your room, and their heart says, no, play Xbox. You say, do your homework, their heart says, I'm not going to do my homework, I'm going to go see my boyfriend. Your heart, I mean, you, you, you say to them, there better not be any alcohol at that party, and their heart says, well, there won't be once I'm done drinking it all, right? All right? Our children's hearts, just like our own hearts, are deceitful and infected with sin. All of our children, make no mistake, given the right circumstances, are capable of breathtakingly evil things. That's why, as parents, they're always so surprised when their kids do such dastardly things. You hear it all the time on the news. Gosh, you know, the kid went and done something really terrible. But he was such a good kid. I don't know what happened. Well, I know what happened. Your child was broken, just like the rest of us. And this is where we begin to fall down as parents because we instinctively don't want to believe that. We want to believe that what's best in our children. We want to overlook the fact that my child and all of our children and all of our grandchildren are all broken, wretched sinners. And they have deceitful hearts and they're capable of unspeakable evil. The heart inside of them partners with them, partners with the arch enemy that leads them astray. And I just want you, you know, I just... You see, it's the enemies within us, not without us. The enemies within us that are most dangerous of all. You see... We're going to protect our kids from the registered sex offender. And we'll protect our kids by making them buckle their seatbelt. And we'll protect them by limiting who they spend their time with. We will protect our kids by giving them, you know, curfews. But we as parents miss the mark when it comes to protecting our kids. Because all too often we fail to recognize and protect our kids from these two internal forces. These two enemies within us. The devil that's tempting and the heart conspired to deceive them. But it's worse than you can imagine. Especially now in our modern culture. Because with all the advancements of technology and all the advantages it's given us, technology has also given these two forces access to an, to an invisible, dangerous predator. An invisible predator that's so devastatingly destructive. A predator that is so sneaky most parents don't even see it coming. A predator that's so deadly it affects and scars people for the rest of their lives. And this predator can damage anyone physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. And it's invisible and is being systematically unleashed not just on the world at large but specifically on children and if our children have not been affected by this predator yet it is only a matter of time because it's not a question of if, if they will be exposed to it it's just a question of when in our modern technology our children will absolutely be affected 
by this. All of them. And this invisible predator that's ravaging our youth right now and hunting our children right now, this invisible predator is being labeled the new drug even by, by secular authorities and secular groups. And what that predator is, the reality of online pornography. That is the invisible predator of our time. It's online pornography. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, pornography is not invisible. In fact, pornography is visual. And yes, that is true. But the content of porn is visual. But in our modern era, the delivery now is invisible. You see, prior to the internet, people who consumed porn, they had to go somewhere and expose themselves to the rest of the world at least a little bit. They had to go actually purchase the materials and people would see them. They took a risk when they would go to the adult, uh, uh, go to the store and go to the, the adult section. Or, or they, you know, if they drove their car to the, the adult bookstore, they ran the risk of someone seeing their car there. There was always a risk of exposure. It wasn't private. But on top of that, this exposure to, uh, to children was limited because, because you had to be 18 to buy it. And kids had to know someone to have access to it. And then they had to hide it because there was physically present in the world around them. And so pornography wasn't quite invisible. And, 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 it, and its reach you know, for many years was quite limited. But today, it's almost universally accessible because we have universal you know, access to the Internet. And with the high-speed you know, computing in the palm of your hand, online pornography is ever-present. And its consumption is virtually invisible because you don't have to go anywhere to get it. And you can sit right at home and get it. And when you're done with it, you turn the browser off and there's nothing to have to like, cover up or hide. It virtually disappears. And if you're worried about your digital trail, then you can erase your browser history. And for all intents and purposes, a person leaves no noticeable evidence that they've even had any contact with this vast world of online pornography. It's absolutely an invisible predator. And the reason why I call it a predator because it's after our children. In fact, let me just share with you some start statistics. 93 percent of boys, 62 percent of girls are exposed to internet porn before the age of 18, before they're adults, before they have the right to choose for themselves legally to consume porn. The vast majority have already been exposed to it. The vast majority of kids that you know have already been exposed to online pornography. The overwhelming majority of kids at the high school have already been exposed to it. Chances are, if you know a teen, they have already been exposed to it. And by the time boys reach the age of their mid-20s, virtually all young men are exposed to porn. In fact, uh, researchers at the University of Montreal did a study you know, wanting to know how porn affects the brain, and they were looking to create a controlled group of men that had, in their 20s that had not been exposed to it, and they could not find a single one. You see, this is all made possible through online pornography. And make no mistake, your kids you know, are not seeing you know, online a sex education. They're not watching normal couples you know, simply engaging in a loving sex inside of marriage. That's not what they're seeing. What they're seeing is more disturbing than that. 83% of boys, all before 18, 75% of girls have seen group sex on the internet. 69% of boys, 55% of girls have seen porn showing same-sex intercourse. 39% of boys, 23% of girls have seen sex, on, uh, sex acts online involving bondage. 32% of boys, 18% of girls have viewed bestiality on the internet. That's sex acts with animals. 18% of boys, 10% of girls have seen rape and sex violence online. 15% of boys and 9% of girls have seen uh, child pornography online. But that's not all. The average age for a boy to be exposed to pornography right now is 10 years old. 10 years old. 
And if your child has a smartphone and has access to the internet, chances are they have already been exposed to it regardless of their age. And the reason for that is because a full 50% of the internet's content, a full half of all that's available on the internet is pornography. And about 70% of the first-time exposures to porn for kids is accidental. They just stumble upon it. They don't go looking for it. Okay? But it's everywhere. It's on web pages and social media and emails and their apps. It's everywhere. Online pornography is an invisible predator hunting our children. And did you know that, that pornography is, the most, is more addictive than tobacco, heroin, and even cocaine? And the high that a person receives when they watch porn is ten times greater than that of cocaine. The predator is stalking our children. And here's the shocking, you know, most shocking statistic of all. The place that our children are overwhelmingly finding it and viewing it is at home. It's at home. On the family computer, their personal laptop, their, their smartphone. You see, we are busy as parents protecting our children from the enemies outside while we're letting the enemy right in the door. And they're preying upon our children. You say, wait a minute, well, let me just, you know, you know, I know my kid and I know they wouldn't. Let me just remind you, the statistics are 93% of boys before 18. 93%. The odds aren't in your favor, okay? And if you think that you would just simply notice what your kid's doing, all right? A study done by McAfee tells us that 32% of teens clear their browser history on a regular basis to hide what they do online from their parents. And 16% have created private emails and social networking accounts to hide what they do online from their parents. 63% of teens have said that they know how to hide what they do online from their parents. 43% uh, have closed or minimized a browser at the sound of their parents walking by. 11% have unlocked, disabled, you know, parenting and filtering controls on their computers. It's a perfect storm. You have unlimited supply of the raunchiest sex material available in every imaginable genre, available to almost every child from their home and their personal smartphone. Combine that with a culture that's promoting sexuality and sexual deviancy at every turn. And you take that with an enemy that's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And then you throw in the mix a deceitful heart, a sin-diseased heart inside of every child. And what you end up with is the greatest spiritual and moral disaster that has ever befallen mankind. And researchers are just now saying that they're beginning to get a glimpse of what's happening. This is the first generation that's grown up with this invisible predator. The first generation that's ever grown up with this unlimited porn on demand. And the initial results and the effects of online porn have already pr are proving to be absolutely disastrous. Disastrous. Disastrous in every category. The effects are devastating physically because porn changes people physically. It causes them to lose touch with reality. It causes them to lose touch with real sex. It actually causes them to prefer porn over uh, human contact. The effects are devastating mentally because porn rewires a person's brain. Especially young people, it distorts relationships. It changes how they see other people. It changes their ability to have compassion for other people and how they even view their loved ones. The, the, the effects are devastating emotionally because families are destroyed by porn. Not to mention porn addicts experience greater bouts of depression and they experience a lack of meaningful and emotional connection to other people. And the effects of, are devastating spiritually because, because porn, like all other sexual sin and all other sin, creates a barrier, a barrier to intimacy with God. And many young people reject the concept of God simply because they know that, that faith in God and their porn consumption are at odds. This is one of the greatest moral and spiritual tragedies in the history of mankind. And the important thing to remember is that it isn't a problem out there. Okay? 
It's a problem inside our homes. And worse yet, it's an internal problem. It's a problem in here. The enemy isn't just out there. He's the enemy that's within. He is already inside. And that's the reality for your children. That's the reality, the world that we live in. That's the fight that we must fight. This is where we must draw up the battle lines for our, for our children. Now, you might think, okay, well, it's a big problem. I know we need to do something, but, but what? I mean, how do we fight something like this? What do we do? I mean, how do we even deal with a problem like this? Well, the first thing that you're going to have to do is you're going to have to, you're going to, have to acknowledge the reality. You have to acknowledge the reality of the fact that there is a devil and he is a spiritual monster and he is powerful and he is influential in your child's life and he is prowling around like a roaring lion looking to devour them. He also, we also need to acknowledge the reality of our child's heart. Your child's heart is deceitful above all things. Your child's heart is, a, is broken. All right, you, your child is a broken sinner no matter how precious they are to you. Chances are your child will, will not always be honest with you. Chances are they'll probably lie to you. In fact, they probably have already lied to you. And they probably have gotten pretty good at lying to your face. Our children have deceitful hearts. And before you interrupt me, you know, and say, not my child, let me just tell you. Yes, your child, your child, just like you, has a deceitful heart. Okay, your child, though a good kid by some human standard, is still a broken, wretched sinner with an incurable heart. And in light of this, the second thing that we need to do is we need, we need, we need to put in practice what we talked about last week. We need to remember that our job is not to be our child's friend. It is to be their parent. Which means as parents, we need to check on what our kids are doing. We need to check on what they're doing on the internet and what they're doing on their smartphone. What are they doing on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and, and, and Snapchat? We need to check to see what they're doing and who they're doing it with. And because they have deceitful hearts, we as parents, you know, cannot take their word for it. I'm sorry to tell you. We need to verify what they're saying to us. In the words of Ronald Reagan, trust but verify. You need to check their internet history. You need to randomly take your kid's phone, right, and look through it. You need to take and demand all passwords and access to all apps. And let me tell you, if you get any pushback from your kid, there's a problem. As parents, you need to ask the tough questions and have the tough tough conversations, which leads to number three. You need to be full of grace and truth. You must have... You must have the the tough conversations, but you need to do it in a loving way. You need to be supportive and caring and loving towards your children, but also you need to hold them accountable. You must be the tender-hearted authoritarian. You have to ask the tough questions and press for the honest answers. And when you find out your child's made a mistake, you need to show them grace and love, but you still need to be firm with the truth. The problem with porn, the problem of your child's deceitful heart is not going to go away by itself. And because of that, these problems require multiple conversations. And that's something you're going to have to talk about all of the time. It's not going to go away. It's not going to fix itself. Because their friends and kids they know will send them porn- pornographic content. Whether you, where they want it or not, they'll receive it via text and email and social media. And if they spend time online, they will stumble upon it by accident. It's inevitable. They will see things that they never intended to see. You see, you have to have an open line of communication grounded in grace and truth. Your kids need to know that they can talk to you. They also need to know that that there's enough grace to have any conversation that they need to have. But they also need to know that you're going to be honest with them and that you're going to hold them accountable for their actions. These are the problems that are going to require continual dialogue. So being full of grace and truth is important. And finally, we must disciple our children. 
like we talked about two weeks ago, we need to take responsibility for, our, for their spiritual growth. We need, we need to pass along to our children authentic, robust faith in Jesus Christ. That's the antidote for the, the enemy's schemes. That is the cure for the uncurable heart. Okay? And let me just be really clear. It is not enough for your child to just have a profession of faith. It's not enough for your child to just pray some prayers. I prayed a prayer when I was five years old and my grandmother was excited and rejoiced that I was saved. But let me just tell you, my friends, I was not saved. I was very, very, very lost. I had no relationship with Jesus Christ. And I was bound for God's judgment. And if I would have died before the year 2004, I would have rightfully been consigned to hell. So it's not enough for them just to say a prayer or pray a few words. It's not enough for them to go to church on Sunday. We need to make sure our kids actually experience true conversion and that we need to disciple them to walk with God and bear fruit in keeping with that salvation. This modern-day American Christianity where people go to church and slap a Christian label on their life but no real change actually happens you know, in their behavior, it really doesn't bear any fruit. That kind of Christianity will not even make a dent in this problem. And only give you and your children a false sense of security. Only a robust, authentic faith in Jesus will give your child the power to fight off the enemy and to overcome a sick heart and to repel the invisible predator of pornography. So as your child's parents, you must make sure that they actually have met the risen king and put their, tr- their trust and their faith in him. And then you must disciple them to follow God, teaching them to read the word, teaching them to pray, teaching them to walk and live with Jesus, teaching them to have relationships with other real, strong Christians. You must continually preach the gospel in your home. You must continually remind your children by your words and by your deeds that you were submitted to God first and he is actually Lord in your own life. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I know, I know, I know it's a tall order. I know that this isn't easy. I know there's a lot to this. I know that, that, that these are tough conversations to have with our kids. I know that these are uncomfortable topics to talk about. I know that we want, you know, to believe what our kids tell us and that, that, that we don't, you know, we want to see what's best in them. I, I, you know, I know we want to believe that our children wouldn't lie to our face. I know we want to believe that if our child would just pray a prayer, they're actually converted and saved. I know all these things and all these things we've talked about for the last few weeks require a lot of work. And I know that it requires sacrifice and it requires soul searching. And I know that it will drag you out of your comfort zone. I understand that. I know that. I know this will be hard and even painful. But with all of that, I want to wrap up this series with one question. And I've asked it before, but I want to ask it again. Are your children worth it? Are your children worth it? Are they worth the sacrifice and the pain? Are they worth the stress and worth the, the trouble that, that, it, that it would take to save them from this predator of porn addiction? Are they worth the sacrifice for them to have an authentic faith in Jesus Christ? Yes, there's a lot of, uh, 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 to be an apparent. Yes, there's a lot to be an apparent that God's calling us to be. There's a lot of sacrifices and pain and work. But are your kids worth it? That's a question you have to, ra- you have to grapple with. Let's all bow our heads. I want everybody to close their eyes. And as we wrap up this series, I want to call us all to make a commitment. In the last four weeks, we've been talking about this stuff, and I want to call you to a commitment to the things, you know, to do these things and work these things out in your life. And so, with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're willing and your children are worth it, and you're willing to make this commitment to begin to follow God where he leads you and become the parent that he wants you to be, will you raise your hand? Will you walk this out? 
All right. And perhaps you don't have kids. Maybe you're a kid yourself. Maybe, you know, your kids are all grown up. You know? But are you willing then to continue following God and commit to follow where He leads? Are you willing to live as an example and be a light for the kids that are in your life, your grandkids and your nieces and your nephews and even your neighbor's kids? If so, will you raise your hand? All right. Well, let me pray for you and let's wrap this up. Father, I just thank you for this, uh, for this series and this message, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, that we would all take very seriously the enemies that are within us. And I pray, Lord God, we would help our children take those enemies seriously as well. And I pray, Father, that you would be absolutely glorified in our lives. I pray, Father, that you would just give us the strength of heart and the strength of character to follow you in these areas. And I pray, Father, that this would be the battleground right here. We'd go out and we'd storm the gates of hell from here on out in our homes and our community. And I pray most importantly, you're glorified in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.